Do you really have to go to work? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, what comes to mind when we say work? Is that something you have to do? Do you have to wash the car? Do you have to go pick up the dry cleaning? Do you have to take your kids to the dentist? Well, we're going to kind of unpack that concept a little bit and see how just changing the words can change your mindset. We talk a lot lot about mindset here. Maybe you need to adjust yours a little bit. Well, some other questions we're going to be looking at. Got a whole bunch of things, fun things today we want to go through. Dan, as an introvert, how can I improve my networking skills? Hey, how about this? Let me just ask you a question. What would you pay to have lunch with somebody to get their advice? Well, we got an update on the annual Warren Buffett lunch. I'll tell you about that. But just think about that. What would you pay to have lunch with somebody to get their advice? What would you do beyond just picking up their tab, which certainly you ought to do, but what would you do beyond that? Somebody says, Dan, if I'm starting a business, should I burn the boats so I have no other option? Couple perspectives on that. We'll unpack that as well. Here's our quotation for today. It's an old African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. What does that mean? In today's environment where it's so easy to be isolated, to be on your own, a solopreneur. Well, sometimes you need to link arms with other people. Our resource today, we've got a new quiz, brand new quiz up. It's at 48dayseagles.com. If you go there, quiz, it's going to help you define where are you on this entrepreneurial journey, especially. You know, a lot of you I know have regular jobs, but boy, we hear from a whole lot of you who want to start little side businesses. We have ideas submitted here. We share stories about those. I love those stories. But uh, go there, 48dayseagles.com. You'll see a quiz right there up at the top. You can take that and it'll kind of help you know where you are. And of course, we have resources, other things we're going to help you with. You know, if you're not on our regular mailing list, I mean, the... My team reminded me just this morning, you know, that we have a lot of podcast listeners that are not on our mailing list. What's well, on our mailing list where we weren't going to spam you and blow it up, you know, with a lot of stuff. But that's where we send out a lot of additional resources. We have checklist for how to develop your own business idea, starting from scratch. How do you go from idea to actually have something that's producing money? We have checklists. We've got an 18-question checklist to identify, are you really somebody that ought to start a business on your own? we got the quiz. we got a whole lot of resources. That's how we can help share those resources with you. And if you aren't on our email list, just go to 48days.com. You'll see a box down there in the bottom left-hand side, just simply give us our email. We aren't going to, again, overload you or spam you, but that's how we communicate to give you the best resources that we've got. We've got some good news pieces here. With anonymous good deeds reigning supreme in tiny town, it may be the nicest place in the U.S. You know, sometimes we get these lists of the nicest places to live, the friendliest towns and all that. And uh, often, 
where I live, Franklin, Tennessee is on that list. And I always cringe. I think, oh my gosh, you know, don't tell everybody. We've got enough people moving here. The town is changing dramatically because of new people moving in, that it is one of those nice Southern towns people love to come to, where people are courteous and gracious and kind and all those things. Well, there are other towns like this. Here's one. Crimes of compassion is what they call this. That's kind of an interesting twist. It's oxymoronic, I guess. Crimes of compassion are nothing new in this melting pot where everyone gets along no matter what part of the world they came from. Three years ago, when Lydia Sumter moved to Harding Park, that's a blue-collar neighborhood of 236 tidy homes on the East River in New York City's Bronx Borough, there was a big smiley face balloon tied to her front gate. And no clue as to who left it. She didn't know it at the time, but Lydia, a pediatric nurse at Mount Sinai Hospital, was the victim of a crime of compassion. She would soon find out that there were kindness vigilantes on the loose in her new neighborhood, where 22 flags representing the nationalities of the people who live there fly outside the Homeowners Association. And that's pretty interesting. 236 homes, and they have 22 flags representing the nationalities of people who live there. That winter, after a bad storm, Lydia opened her door, ready to dig herself out, only to find that someone had already saved her the trouble. Not only did they shovel, but they came in the gate and all the way up to the front door, she says. Later that year, she returned from work to find a bag of fresh-picked tomatoes, cucumbers, and eggplants on her patio. Now, she's not the only victim of these crimes of compassion. A retired New York police detective, Elbin Mena, who has lived in Harding Park for 35 years, also found his walk mysteriously shoveled that winter. He knew to expect such things, and so he was prepared. But he set up motion sensor cameras, and when he reviewed the video footage, he was able to identify and thank his neighbor. On that same block, garbage cans are mysteriously hauled back up driveways on garbage day. Uh, Jose Gonzalez, president of the Harding Park Homeowners Association, knows who's responsible. Um, Well, it's him who is sparing his neighbors that little pain. Uh, So there are people who just look for opportunities to do good for their neighbors. Well, that's a great kind of community to live in. What if you made your own community like that? No matter where you live, what if you took the initiative just to do little acts of kindness for your neighbors? I mean, how would that change feelings about the neighbors, the sense of uh, camaraderie, or just sense of looking out for each other in your neighborhood? I mean, these days we have neighborhoods with no sidewalks and remote control garage door openers where you can drive right in without having to talk to anybody. Yeah, you kind of miss the old sense of neighborhood. See what you can do to reinitiate that where you are. Well, you know, last Thursday night, well, a week ago Thursday night, we went to, well, along with my mastermind, we had uh, 30 tickets for a performance of Jimmy Vaughn at the Franklin Theater. Now, the Franklin Theater is a small venue, only seats about 350 people. They have wonderful, wonderful shows there. Jimmy Vaughn, the old guitarist, brother of Stevie Ray Vaughn, and he's pretty pretty old guy, and he played. It was awesome to hear him. Now, we have... You know, we're spoiled here in the Nashville area. We have so many musical things we can take advantage of. And this last Thursday night, we joined some friends and went to see Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons. Now, it was at the Symphony Center. This is a real 
highbrow kind of thing. The Nashville Symphony played with them, and I mean, they rocked the house. But this is Frankie Valley. Yeah, now a lot of you weren't born when Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons were in their heyday. Now, you probably know about them because of the Jersey Boys, the Broadway show and, of course, movie, musical, the Jersey Boys. It's about Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons. But that dude is 85 years old. I mean, he came out on stage for an hour and a half. I mean, and it wasn't like he was just going through the motions. You know, he talked to the audience. He talked about current events. He talked about things that happened that day. Uh, he talked about friends that he has in Nashville. He pointed out people in the audience. Uh, a lady who gave him his first big break, who took him to New York City from Jersey where he was because she wanted some other people to hear him. That lady was in the audience. Now, I love this because, you know, we talk about doing work that you're passionate about. Are you doing work where you're going to be excited to be doing it when you're 85 years old? Now, me and Frankie Valley, his voice still just crystal clear as ever. I mean, you remember... All the old songs, you know, Sherry, Can't Take My Eyes Off of You, Walk Like a Man. Hey, how about this one? Maybe you'll remember this one. back a little bit in time between 1962 and 1978 he sold more than a hundred million albums i mean it just blows my mind so think about the numbers there a hundred million albums in that what a 16 year period but that was way back when, and here he is, 2019, still belting it out, still doing what he loves. Well, obviously, the production of the Jersey Boys gave him kind of a new shot in the arm, new popularity, and he's riding that wave. He was in Nashville, two completely sold-out nights, every seat taken at the Nashville Symphony Center. Well, you know, I, I enjoy these stories about people who continue doing what they really love in the musical genre there we get the rolling stones now they're just going back out on their new tour titled no filter now mick jagger was born on july 26th 1943 so <laughs> that means that in about uh, what two weeks he's going to be 76 years old now, you know how this guy is on stage. He's 76 years old, still out there doing it. Well, I hope you're doing work that gives you that much of a thrill that you want to continue doing it. Now, I also look, Mick Jagger is, is worth like $700 million. So it's not like he has to go back out there to you know, be on stage, do one more gig to uh, pay the groceries. Not at all. But he loves doing it, obviously. Well, I hope you're in that position when you're 76 years old where you don't have to go do something financially, but you still love doing the work that you're privileged to do. Wow, just awesome. Well, I ask in the opening, what would you pay to have lunch with somebody if you wanted to pick their brain? Well, someone just paid 
$4.6 million to eat lunch with Warren Buffett. Now, you hear this. I, I do an update on this every single year. have for a long, long time. I've uh, been doing the podcast now for, well, right at 10 years. But even before that, was on. I was on radio for six years. And I love doing this update. You know, I'm not actually sure. Well, this is actually, it's 20 years. This was 20 years. But cryptocurrency pioneer Justin Sun, and it's interesting, he, he's the one that paid $4.6 million to have lunch with Warren Buffett. But it's interesting because one time Buffett referred to Bitcoin as rat poison squared. So not everybody's a fan of Bitcoins, but here's a guy who made a lot of money in that. And he paid four. Well, it's actually $4,567,888 to have lunch with Warren Buffett. Now, the lunch is always presented on eBay. That's where people bid. And then the Glide Foundation is the recipient of that money. I mean, Warren doesn't just put it in his pocket, go have lunch again. No, he, he donates it to the Glide Foundation. They help the homeless um, in San Francisco. He's been doing that for a very long time. And he's raised over $30 million for the nonprofit. How would you like to be the recipient of that? Where Warren Buffett every year donates some money generated by people bidding to have lunch with him. And he's raised now over $30 million. Now, that, that's gone up a lot. In 2000, which, again, that was 19 years ago, the winning bid was $25,000. And everybody thought that was nuts. $25,000. Well, this year, it hit 4.6, a new record, and that's an increase of, what, 187 times. Well, interesting to see that little phenomenon occur, but what would you pay? I mean, just think about it. What would you pay to have lunch with somebody where you really wanted to pick their brains? Now, it's pretty common if you ask somebody to lunch because you do want to pick their brains that you pick up the tab for lunch. That's usually pretty much it, but uh, this puts a new twist on it. What if it was somebody who really you thought could, in a short period of time, give you some insights about where you could go to improve your life, improve your business, improve your marriage, whatever, what you wanted to accomplish? What would you pay for that? Well, good thing to think about. I mean, I've certainly invested a lot over the years in getting close to people where I wanted to know more about their wisdom. The old greats, the old masters of achievement who were my virtual mentors in the early years, Zig Ziglar, Jim Rohn, Dennis Whaley, Norman Vincent Peale, Victor, Mark Victor Hansen, people like that. You know, I got to meet a lot of those guys because I did pay to go to their events, purchase their materials, were able to meet most of those guys and a whole lot of other people, I encourage you to do the same. Be willing to invest. Now, I'm not suggesting you pay $4.6 million to spend a, an hour lunch with anybody, but uh, interesting to watch that unfold. Hey, you want to just uh, a, a note here. This is not good news, but it's a, a note that's important, and that has to do with school debt. You know that's a particular pet peeve of mine to see kids that are strapped with enormous school debt as they come out of college and often not equipped to really um, get jobs that are that are going to pay much. I mean, you could um, get a job working on a landscape crew and make more money than what a lot of the college degrees are likely to get you. Now, here's what's happening. Graduate school programs may be the worst culprits in the student debt crisis. This comes from a, a new New York Times article. 
New college loan data released by the Department of Education frequently reveals debt levels that make little sense. For example, MFA graduates. Now, that's a really hot degree. You know what that is, MFA? Master of Fine Arts. Okay, I won't, I won't go any further down. Master of Fine Arts. You know, so you're really good with, you know, graphics or, or art or something like that. MFA graduates at the Academy of Art University in San Francisco earn only about $35,000 a year. That's the average income that somebody with a master's in fine arts is going to earn. But they borrow, on average, more than $85,000. Now, what kind of sense does that make? I mean, how could you possibly frame that? Now, certainly, we know that there are doctors who come out of school with an MD behind their name with $200,000 in loan debt, but they're likely to make $200,000 or more a year. At least there's some kind of balance there, but to borrow to the extent that you're going to have two full years of income to repay the debt. I mean, that's the kind of thing where kids never get out of the hole at all. I mean, my mother-in-law, when she was 71 years old, Um, She was uh, deteriorating. I took over her financial affairs and realized that she was having her social security checks garnished because of student loan debt. I mean, how preposterous is that? No, I did a, a settlement, but it was thousands and thousands of dollars to do a settlement to wipe out her student loan debt. She was 71 years old going into assisted living. Yeah. That's how long it follows you, and that's not an uncommon occurrence. A master's in architecture at Pratt Institute average require borrowing $157,000. At the University of Southern California, the average sum borrowed for a master's in in social work is $109,486. That's the average it's borrowed to get a master's in social work. What are you going to make with a degree, a master's degree in social work? I mean, that is not a degree where the work is going to make anybody rich. Now, again, there are a lot of reasons to go to school. I mean, I don't want to diminish that. I mean, I went, I've got my advanced degrees because I enjoy the learning process. I see it as a process of personal development. I had very little to do with positioning for a career that I would be paid in. And I've always been an entrepreneur, so it really was just for personal development. I wasn't looking to get a degree so somebody would hire me. Oh, please, please, please be careful about what direction this takes you. I'm meeting this next week with a young guy, and he has a bachelor's degree, bachelor's of arts in theological and ministerial studies. He has a master's of divinity in theological and ministerial studies. He has a PhD in historical theology. Now, what are you going to do with a PhD in historical theology? I mean, name one thing that you could do that would be an appropriate application of that. Now, let me give you a little background. Historical theology is the study of the history of theological doctrine. It's described as the division of the theological discipline that seeks to understand and delineate how the church interpreted scripture and developed doctrine throughout its history from the time of the apostles to the present day. 
Now, universities report that the majority of their theological students go into further study. Now, how's that for something that equips you? It equips you for further study. Well, this young guy has already gone to the top. Once you get a PhD, where are you going to go You know, for further study? Well, and they, they say, now this is from a university report, students learn a wide variety of skills through theology like critical thinking, clear writing, problem solving, and analysis of social and historical trends. These lend themselves to any number of different jobs. For this reason, theological students go on to work as journalists, politicians, accountants, police officers, interior designers. The spectrum of possibilities is almost limitless. Now, this is put out there as an encouragement to get a degree in theology. So you're going to end up as a police officer? Would that help you? Well, I'm sure that it can frame your worldview or frame your thinking, and it may be useful in certain situations, but to go spend the time and money? Now, here's the thing. Well, parents, as parents become more concerned with their children's education, many are opting to enroll their children in private religious-based schools that are often affiliated with local churches. Now, here's the thing. Often those schools are more expensive than just public schools that are out there. Opportunities, again, for those with advanced degrees in theology are available at the elementary, middle, and high school levels, with many teachers being given the chance to teach theology classes to students. Salaries for these jobs can be as low as $25,000 per year to as high as $75,000 annually for those with many years of experience with larger schools. Wow, how encouraging is that? According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the average annual salary for somebody with an advanced degree in theology is forty-seven dollars to $51,000. So here's a kid who has a PhD in historical theology. Now he's in a position, I'm going to see him next week, he's in a position where I'm pretty confident he's probably not making $45,000. Now again, going to school to develop personally has a lot of merit. But if you're going and borrowing money, now I I hope that this guy with a PhD in historical theology has zero debt, that he borrowed zero to go through. And if he was able to do that, more power to him. Fantastic. But I highly suspect with a PhD recently obtained that he probably has significant student loan debt. I'm not sure how that's justified. I just don't understand how to frame that. How to justify that. Now, I went to school, you know, after I'd been out in the workplace, I got my bachelor's degree. Then I was out for four years, worked, saved money. My gosh, we bought a car. I had a Jag XKE. You know, I was doing well. Then we sold some of our assets and I went back to graduate school and got my master's degree. Certainly didn't borrow any money for that. You know, I got a teaching assistantship for that period of time. Joanne worked during that period of time at a fabric store. We lived very frugally, but we certainly didn't accumulate any debt in that period of time. Then I was out for another 18 years before I started my doctoral work. Again, just at a position in life where I was eager to be immersed in the academic environment. I absolutely loved it. But um, I was you know, making money at that point. I, I didn't just stop everything and just study. I integrated that into the work I was already doing. And again, certainly didn't even think about taking out student loans for the study at that point. 
So a lot of ways to approach it. I hope you're doing well in your pursuit of additional knowledge and wisdom and application that makes a difference in your life. Well, let me go to our opening question today. Do you have to go to work? You know, when we say, I have to, our brains rebel. They just naturally resist. So here's what I want you to do, just as an experiment. Say, I get to, or I want to. Every time you catch yourself saying, I have to. I have to go to work today. I have to go pick up the kids from school. Well, really? No, you don't. You don't have to. You get to. But see how it reframes your thinking. I mean, it can make a monumental shift in your mindset just to change those times when you say, I have to, to I get to, or I want to. Now, I put this up just as a general post in the 48 Days Eagles community and had a whole bunch of people respond. I'm going to read you just a few of these responses because it did make people think. Steve Ruby, who's a paramedic, said, I get to deal with people in times of crisis. I get to respond night and day for people having the worst day of their lives. Now think about how that's framed differently than I have to go to work. Jeez, you know, most people are having a good time on a Friday night. I have to sit in this ambulance, you know, waiting for stupid things. to. No, I get to respond night and day for people having the worst day of their lives. Teresa McCloy says, I love the shift in thinking. It makes such a difference in our outcomes and energy. JT Weatherford says, instead of I have to go to the gym, I say I get to go to the gym to push myself harder, to become better and be able to keep up with my son. Les Hughes says, I get to help people pull back the curtain of their circumstances so they can achieve their God-given hopes and dreams. Wow, that's not I have to go to work. I get to help people achieve their God-given hopes and dreams. Nathan says, I get to go to the store and buy groceries so that I can cook healthy and nutritious meals at home instead of having, having to go to the grocery store. Now, Mike Bryan says, sometimes our best perspective is what we get to stop doing. My favorite saying is, when you are in a hole, stop digging. Robert Gabriel, I suppose it would help if whenever faced with a task we don't want to do, it would help to think of the way result we want and then frame a reaction in a positive way. I want to go to the gym so I can have the many benefits of good health I want. Joanne Miller, hey, here's my lovely wife who says, I've found that when I say I can't do something, what I really mean is I don't want to work that hard. Golly, I love that. I'll remind you of that every now and then, babe. Ryan Rieger says it's easy to fall on the trap of saying I can't do this or I'm not. Even It even might sound like we're being humble rather than just limiting ourselves. Our words matter, especially what we say to ourselves. Our words affect our thoughts, which affect our decisions, which affect our whole life. Absolutely true, Ryan. Troy Stone King says, I get to go to a job where they respect and appreciate me. Listen to my ideas for new revenue streams and implement them all the while paying me a fair wage. Now, again, I I want you just to think about that. Catch yourself just in the next seven days here. Just in the next week, catch yourself when you say, I have to do this. I have to do that. You know, you'll probably be surprised how many times it slips out of your mouth. 
you'll certainly be guided to that reticular activator where once it's on your mind, you notice it more and more. You'll hear other people. Gee, I have to do this. I have to go here. I have to do this. It just is a common part. How we frame what we do all day long. We've made those decisions, those choices. Do you have to go to work today? No, you don't. I mean, don't tell me, gee, you know, the mortgage won't get paid unless you go. That may be true, but you don't have to go to work. You make a choice to do that. You choose to do that because you like the results of that more than you like the consequences of not doing it. So you choose to go to work. Uh, Tanya Hargrove says, yes, gratitude. I get to get up two hours early so I can exercise. Rebecca Jenkins says, I get to do the dishes. This is my least favorite chore, but it represents the fact that I have both a growing family as well as food to feed them. What a huge blessing. Boy, no kidding. Mark Ross says, what if this turns out much better than I can imagine at the moment? Christy Hertzler says, I would even add, I'm going to, quote, I'm going to, to this list of great mindset shifts, because then I'm speaking into reality, the intention, and then making it happen. Love your responses. Thank you for that. From the 40 Days Eagles, all those responses. You don't have to do much of anything. You get to do it. Well, that music there, just a quick reminder, these are real life questions, responses from you in the 40 Days community. Love what you uh, contribute. And I consider it an honor to be part of your lives in this way every week to open this up and share the ideas back here with a larger audience. If you've got questions, a success story or an example of I have to, I get to versus shoot those into me at askdan at 48days.com. Again, the email dedicated for just content here on the podcast is askdan at 48days.com. Now, I got a response until last week. We had an extra uh, a bonus podcast. It was my interview with Michael Hyatt, who talked about the principles in his new book, Free to Focus, talked about the, the idea of overwork, feeling trapped, and again, all those things we have to do. Well, Ryan uh, responded to that. He said, I was just out walking with my two-year-old, and we were listening to Dan's recent bonus podcast with Michael Hyatt. So far, my takeaway is this. It's hard for me to turn off work in my mind. That's because I love what I do. But I also want to make sure I'm present with my family when I need to be. Michael's advice was to plan something for those times. Go to the zoo, go out to dinner. He says if he's engaging his mind with another activity, he can push work aside. He even says he doesn't read business books on the weekend. He'll grab a novel or something about history. Now, this has to do with identifying time where we're not going to be engaged in work. Now, last year, Michael, as we talked about on that podcast, Michael had 160 free days. Last year, 160 free days, days where he was totally unconnected with work. He and Gail took a month-long sabbatical in weekends, holidays, vacations, all those things. 160 days where he was totally unconnected with work. And his business revenue increased 62%. Now, that's another story, how to frame that. I mean... And maybe not all of you are in positions where you could reshape your work in that way. Uh, I certainly am. I mean, my goal this year is to have 126 free days. Now, here's the thing, and here's what Ryan is addressing. 
When I take a free day, it's hard for me not to just gravitate back to work in terms of my thinking, my reading, my activities. It's, I love what I do. So that's an attraction just to come back to that. However, I am learning that the free days are not just a reward for doing a lot of work and then you just kind of do nothing. No, free days are what bring out your strongest creativity so that you come back into work with more to offer. It energizes your work rather than detracts from it. That's why we hear so many stories about people who are working less and still accomplishing more and achieving more, earning more, all those kind of things. But it reminds me how Ryan frames, it reminds me of that parable in the Bible talked about in Luke 11, where it says a demon was cast out of a man. It goes to the deserts, searching there for rest, but finding none, it returns to the person it left and finds that its former home is all swept and clean. Then it goes and gets seven other demons, more evil than itself, and they all enter the man. And so the poor fellow is seven times worse off than he was before. Now, the, the parable is about a house occupied by an undesirable tenant. So when the tenant vacates or gets evicted, the house is swept and made neat and clean. However, the house is left unoccupied. The tenant who left, unable to find anywhere else to live, he sneaks back to the house, bringing seven other homeless guys with him. They all move in and become squatters. So that, that's kind of the gist of the parable. But it reminded me in the way that Ryan is framing this, if I have a free day and I don't plan to do something in that free day, then my thinking is going to naturally gravitate right back to work and just the compounding of that. So I have to be intentional about what am I going to do? Are we going to take the granddaughters to the zoo? You know, are we going to take a drive out to Leaper's Fork? Are we going to go to an art fair somewhere? Are we going to go to a Main Street Festival? So I have to be intentional about doing things in those free days rather than just the absence of work. Because with just the absence of work, work will find its way back in again. Now, I hope, hope that helps you frame how you are moving away from work and what you can do to make that time purposeful. In the Strategic Coach, a program that I'm involved in, where I'm being coached, we identify free days, focus days, and bonus days. So those are the division, three different days, free days where you're totally away from work, focus days where you really are focused on exactly what you're doing. And then bonus days are days that may be filled with some administrative kind of things, just the, the little details that, that you get to take care of. I almost said that you have to, that you get to take care of. Those are things you do on the bonus days, but that's how we divide our time into those three sections. All right, a couple other questions here, and we'll wrap up. Chris Anderson says, do you have any advice or resources you would recommend to improve my networking skills? I'm an introverted person who doesn't like communicating outside of friends, family, and coworkers. I'm a CS on the DISC profile. I have a business idea I would like to pursue and need to communicate with similar business owners and possible clients to see if my business idea is viable. My social network is limited, and I'm not good at cold calling people or businesses I don't know and asking for help. Any advice you could offer would be greatly appreciated. Now, that reminds me, that brings me back, Chris, and your question was really why I chose the quotation for today, that being the African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. That's really where you are. If you want to have a really small idea, a business idea, you can develop it and do it all yourself. 
if you want to grow it into something profitable that really serves you well and serves humanity well, you're going to need to involve other people. This last week in our Monday Mentor in the Eagles community, we had Marianne Renner on. She is a high SC, as you are. She has fueled her business dramatically by being very intentional about reaching out to make the contents contacts that would, in fact, view our business. We reviewed how to use 15 hours. How to use 15 hours to grow your little business. I'll review that with you right here just quickly. You have to have activity in all four of these areas or your business won't happen. So two hours of reading, studying, gathering new knowledge. So that's 20% of whatever time you have to devote to your business. So we're working with 15 hours here. So it'd be two hours of doing that. So adding new knowledge, two hours creating content or working on your book or your course offering or your coaching packages, whatever it is that you're going to have as a real product. Eight hours working directly with clients. So that's, you know, a little more than half the time. Actually, I've got that wrong. That is not the right number. That would be five hours, five hours. So it'd be a third of the time where you're working directly with clients. And then three hours marketing your efforts to build your brand and reputation. You cannot just, you you can create the very best product in the world, whether it's a service that you're going to provide or it's a new invention. But if you don't engage with other people and do the marketing, it's not going to go anywhere. You have to do that. Now, what Marianne did was she was very intentional. So she had time blocks set aside where she was going to make 10 phone calls or go meet five new people. Is it comfortable for her? Is she an extrovert? Unlike you? No, not at all. She's the same as you are, an introvert. But she knew that in order to get to where she wanted to go, she needed to make those contacts. If you go to a conference, there I, I've got a list of 10 tips to get maximum value from going to a conference. If you just go and sneak into the back seat and sit there and listen, eh, you're not going to gain a whole lot. Make a list of three speakers you want to hear. Three speakers you want to meet. Why do you want to meet them? I mean, take the initiative to meet them. I mean, attend with somebody else who's just as interested in learning as you are. So, you know, in your case, find somebody who's interested in a similar idea as what you have. Then go to Chamber of Commerce meeting. Go to the Entrepreneur Center on a night when they're having, you know, brainstorming for new ideas. I mean, we got all kinds of resources here in Nashville. I'm not sure where you are, but chances are you do as well. Craft your elevator speech. Who are you? What do you do? Why are you here? To take, and I like to take thank you cards that are pre-stamped with me when I go to a conference. So I can write a quick thank you to somebody that I talked to, got an idea from, send it before I even leave the conference. You know, they get it the day they get home, blows their mind, creates a stronger bond there. Create a list of notes and questions that you want to ask people who have more experience in this space. Identify five people that you really want to connect with. Stay in touch with who you know can help you in this space. You know, you, you need to be part of a mastermind. That's another story. When I'm working on new content, I'm updating the course that we generated on how to build your own mastermind. I'm really excited about that. Wow, when I experience the power of people connecting together, it goes beyond description. So those are things that you, you're going to need to do those 
uh, Chris, if you want to get any kind of traction, um, yeah, it doesn't mean that you need to change how God has wired you, that you're really comfortable with solitude and you like to be alone. Doesn't You don't need to change that. But in order to accomplish this goal, yes, get out there, connect with people who can help fuel your success. Well, let me grab one more here. John says, the cons, um, John says, for someone who wants to start a business, but who is having a difficult time in making the jump, I've heard that I should make that jump, move forward, eliminate available paths that would lead me back to where I was. Eliminating these paths or escape routes, as I call them, would keep me motivated and keep moving toward my goal of operating my own business. What are your thoughts? Well, John, I love your question. You know, should you burn the boats so you have no option but to make this business succeed? Golly, I love that thought, but I'm going to expand on it a little bit. Now, this concept of burning the boats, it comes back, there, there's several examples in history, but one of the most inspiring stories happened in 1519. Hernando Cortez led a large expedition consisting of 600 Spaniards, 16 horses, 11 boats to Mexico. The goal was to capture a magnificent treasure said to be held there, so upon arrival, Cortez made history by destroying his ships. Now those 16 ships went up in flames. That sent a clear message to his men. There's no turning back. Either you win or you die. Now, although you might assume that that's pretty uh, demotivating for his men, no, it really did work the other way. I mean, with no exit strategy in place, they rallied behind their leaders never before. Now, it took a little time, but he succeeded in his conquest of the Aztec Empire because of that. So we hear that, you know, that burning the boats, in essence, it's saying there's a point of no return. You have no option, no hedge, no plan B, no alternate. Reminds me of a book one of my friends here in Nashville wrote a few years ago, Jump and the Net Will Appear. Well, it's that concept. Hey, don't worry about it if you don't have a real plan. Just jump and hope that something shows up on your way down. Well, there's merit in that. And there's certainly been times that I've done that. However, I don't do that. I don't do that in the way that I did when I was younger. I think perhaps I'm wiser now. I don't want to just say that it will always keep an alternate path. So if it doesn't work out, you got a, a clear safety net there. I, I'm not really thrilled with that. But I like to see people stage starting a new business. Now, if you're a regular listener to this 48 Days podcast, you've heard me talk about the idea of work on your side business. Use those 15 hours. Do that really well. Get your side business to where it's generating 50% of your current income. So if you're making $70,000 now, get to where you're generating $3,000 a month from your side business. If you do that and do it over three months consistently, then I think you're in really good shape to go ahead and leave your job knowing that the extra time you can close that gap and go on from there. I mean, we've seen lots and lots of people do that. We got a lot of stories in the 40 Days community about people who have done that. And I love that plan. I have my business in a Venn diagram model. So there are three circles that overlap at certain points. What that means is I have seven different areas with distinct activities in my business. I will risk everything in one of those seven areas. 
So if I'm starting something new, it gets a position in that Venn diagram, and I will work my fanny off to make that survive. However, if it doesn't, I have six other things that are working pretty well. So I give myself a lot of buffer at this stage in trying new things. I am not likely, as an example, to stop writing, stop speaking, stop coaching, stop our coaching mastery program, stop my mastermind, 40 Days Eagles community, all just stop all those things and go down here and start a little um, exotic used car lot, which I think about doing most days. I mean, it's another idea that I'd have a lot of fun doing, but I'm, there's not a chance that I'll just stop everything I'm doing now and go do that, hoping that will survive and thrive. If I ever do that, well, chances are slim that I will, but if I ever do that, it'll be in one of those seven slots. So I can spend a day a week, as an example, doing that. But I'll never put myself in a position where it's that or nothing. Now, I don't know what your current situation is, John, or if your new business you're starting to talk about is something that you can do in the side. I mean, if you're talking about opening a bowling alley, a restaurant, a service station, a hardware store, you can't really do it just after hours or on weekends. You have to be fully committed to that. You may have to get an SBA loan to get started in that. There are a whole lot of things where you may be putting it on the line to do that. And if you have the background and have done the research and you're a good candidate for that, I still think there are times to do that. But with most of the ideas that we cover here, it doesn't require that. It doesn't require that you just simply burn the boats and don't have any other kind of option. You can move into it more gently. And that's really a strategy that I think saves marriages and uh, saves health and a whole lot of good things can come out of making a, a transition that is a little softer. This next week, we're going to have on the uh, 48 Days Monday Mentor, uh, we're going to have a guest on there, Michael, who is working full time at a job that he's had for 24 years. But he started a little business on the side two years ago. That little business on the side that he's doing now nets him double what his salary is. Double what his salary is. So now he's identified a time where he will be leaving his job, but obviously he's created an amazing runway for himself where there's no risk at all. He's already making twice as much money from his side business as in his real job. Do you think he can elevate that even more when he quits his job? Well, sure, but he's very conservative, so he did not burn the boats at all. He simply moved into that, and now he's in a position of enormous strength where he can make that transition, and everybody's happy. He did that so his wife would have the option to not go to work should she choose to do so. That was his goal. Well, when he was generating significant income, she did not have to go to work anymore, and she discovered she likes going to work two days a week, works as a dental hygienist, and she continues to work two days a week. Just a beautiful, beautiful model of opening up your options and really being able to do the things you choose to do rather than feeling like you do have to do them. Well, again, golly, I love this time together. Thanks for being part of this community. Uh, go to 48dayseagles.com. Do the quiz. See where you are. And there's no obligation there, you know, just information, but just see where you are in your own path. And then we've got other resources for you. Again, if you don't 
get our regular updates with all the the guides, resources, worksheets that we send out. Just go to 48days.com. You can sign up there to make sure that you don't miss any of those. Well, thanks for being part of this growing group of people where we do know without a shadow of doubt, we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Don't settle for less.